Let me read our first Bible reading. So this is God's word from Psalm 25, all 22 verses of Psalm 25. A Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will, he will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fears him, fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me be not put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning, sisters and brothers in the Lord. Uh, what a great joy to sing uh, that song together. Uh, it's more of a prayer than a song, isn't it? It's a wonderful prayer that um, resonates deep in our hearts, uh, that our Lord is the one who we truly thirst after. Uh, isn't that so? <laughs> it sure is. Uh, let me bring to you God's word to uh, the church in Laodicea. This is Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses f uh, 14 and following. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and following. To the angel of a church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, 
poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in a fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give a right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we believe today your word is like a double-edged sword. It pierces into the depths of our hearts. Lord, may you fulfil your purpose for this word for our lives this morning. Lord, please bring before our minds and hearts comforting considerations. Lord, as we experience your work of grace in your word, please, in your mercy, may it be for your glory that we will declare and manifest the true wonder and the power and the wisdom of your gospel. Father, may none of us leave this morning without knowing your blessing. We ask this in your name. Amen. Some time ago I was listening to the ABC radio and I was fascinated by a story about a horse breeder who helped orphan foals. So I didn't know this, but if a foal's mother mother's do- dies, the foal normally dies as well because the mare will not allow an illegitimate foal to drink its milk. So there's a horse breeder in New South Wales who came up uh, with um, an incredible way to overcome this problem. So what she did is when, if, when one of her mares uh, gave, gives birth, she covers the foal with a blanket that's been smeared in eucalyptus oil. So when the mother smells her newborn son, she smells the eucalyptus oil. Oh, son, newborn foal, sorry. <laughs> um, now, when the horse breeder gets a phone call uh, from uh, a, 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 um, a, 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 another property owner that uh, giving birth that the mares died, uh, the breeder will head to the property with, 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 with its mare and when she arrives, she'll take out the blanket that's been smeared in eucalyptus oil and she'll put it on the orphan foal and then she'll release her mare into the paddock. And when the mare smells the orphan foal and smells the eucalyptus oil, the, the mare's deceived into thinking that this is one of hers and then she would then allow this orphan foal to drink its milk. And I thought to myself, what an ingenious deception. By the way, it's not only horses who can be deceived. It can happen within a church. See, the Christians who were gathered at Laodicea saw themselves as a spiritually mature community. According to what Jesus says, uh, they did not believe that they were in need of anything. They believed that the fruit of their faith, that is their works, were pleasing to God. 
The problem for the church at Laodicea is that they were self-deceived. How they think of themselves is not how Christ thinks of them. In verse 14, you'll notice that the risen Lord Jesus reminds the Laodicean Christians that he is the Amen. He's the faithful and true witness, the one who has authority over all creation. This is how he begins his, his letter. And what Jesus is doing, he's reminding them that when he speaks, he speaks truth. He's the Amen. And when he makes judgments, they are irrefutable. He is the faithful and true witness. And when he acts in power, no one will resist because he is the Lord of creation. This is a vision that he brings to the church at Laodicea. And the point he's seeking to bring to them is that their opinion of themselves matters little. It's Christ's opinion that matters because he judges from a position of divine truth and eternal power. Now, what does Christ find when he judges the church at Laodicea? Well, it's certainly not a spiritually mature community who need nothing. On the contrary, he finds an impoverished impoverished church that is stunningly self-deceived. Far from pleasing God, they are in danger of being spat out of his mouth. Quite frankly, this is a horrifying judgment. Where is the fruit of the Spirit? Where is the love in this church? Where is the joy and the patience and the kindness and the peace and the goodness and the gentleness and the self-control? Where are the fruit of good works? I mean, where's the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of love, the fruit of holiness? Like lukewarm water, the Laodiceans' Christianity is useless. Their Christianity is ineffective. And Christ tells them that he finds such tepid Christianity as sickening. A little bit of background may be helpful here. In the ancient Near East, the city of Laodicea was a city that sat between two other cities. Right? So geographically... Laodicea, seven miles to the north, was a city called Hierapolis. Right? Now, Hierapolis was famous for its hot springs. The hot water in Hierapolis was used for medicinal purposes. It was useful. Right? Less than ten miles to the south of the city of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. And it had the same water, the same stream ran through the moor. But by that time, the water was cool. And it was refreshing. It was useful. It was good to drink. But Laodicea sat in the middle, right? So the hot water, by the time it came to Laodicea, was lukewarm. By the time it gets to Colossae, it's cold and drinkable, right? But the water at Laodicea was undrinkable. Now, the point is that the hot water at Hierapolis and the cold water at Colossae was useful, beneficial, good, and uplifting. Laodicea's water was good for nothing, In fact, it was vomit-inducing. If you drank it, you you were sick. With this in mind, what the Lord Jesus is saying is that the Laodicean church has become like their water, useless. It's good for nothing. In fact, it's vomit-inducing. 
That's why Jesus says in verse 15, I wish you were either hot or cold. In other words, I wish your faith was like hot water or cold water in that it's effective and useful and a blessing to others. Jesus is not saying that he wishes their faith was either spiritually hot or spiritually cold. Christ never wants us to have a cold faith. Jesus' point is that his will for them is that they would possess a faith that produces good fruit, abundant fruit, eternal fruit. And sadly, this was not the case. And if they continue with such a tepid faith, Christ is saying that he'll come and judge them. I think one of the crucial questions we have to ask this morning is how could the church lose its way so badly? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to understand. Look at verse 17, because here's the answer. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Did you notice uh, what the later scenes said? I do not need a thing. The church has fallen into the sin that first sent humanity into the abyss. It's pride. Look at us. Our budget's great. Not only that, we're actually getting richer. It's increasing every year. We've done so well, we don't need anything. The material gain and prosperity that had become, in this church, the seedling of pride... It's now growing, not only from a seedling, but into a lifestyle. And it's developing to the point where they're, they're, they're saying we don't need Christ. Oh, they're not saying it confessionally. Confe- by their confession, they say we believe in Christ. But their practice, how they lived, was different. The church's attitude was not out of character with the rest of the city of Laodicea. And I think this is something actually helpful to note. In fact, the church at Laodicea was actually reflecting the culture of the day. Laodicea was an extremely wealthy business centre. Right? Laodicea was known for a number of things, but particularly its banks, so it was incredible commercial success. It had this amazing clothing trade, and it had this world-famous eye ointment. Right? So in the city's wealth and success... The town developed this, this, this pride and independence that, quite frankly, outstripped most other towns in the ancient Near East. To, to prove my point, there was an earthquake in, in, in AD 60 that devastated the city of Laodicea, right? Devastated, flattened it. The town was rebuilt, but not by Rome. It was a Roman colony, but Rome didn't put any money into it, right? The townspeople all came together, chipped in. They built their own town. You see, so the later scenes were a proud people. But it seems that pride is as infectious as the plague because now that pride has come to the church. But God sees and knows their works. He knows their pride. He's heard their self-dependent boasting and he knows what they really love and trust. My sisters and brothers, pride is an infectious disease and it's very much part of our world, is it not? Let me give you some examples. When our world is confronted with a crisis, how do we respond? 
We're going to fix it with our technology, our education, our legislation, our money and our military might. We know how to fix our problems. For example, think about climate change. Does the world call out to God confessing the sin of the past? Does it seek the creator and sustainer of his world to come to our aid and to guide us in how we're to, to care for the environment? Not on your life. Just consider for a moment our own nation. What do we boast about? We boast about our cities, the rivalry between our great cities. We boast about our economy, how well we do compared to the rest of the world. We certainly boast about our homes. We're fixated on home prices. We boast about our education. We boast about our superannuation. We boast about our industries, our recreation and so forth. Do we ever attribute any of these blessings to a work of God's grace and mercy upon our nation? Not on your life. See, the spirit of a world is a spirit of self-dependence and self-exhortation. And that same spirit of self-dependence and self-exhortation can not only enter the church, but it can enter our lives. It's one of our great temptations to reflect our culture. Let me give you an example. About six months ago, there's a church in Sydney that had its financial records um, uh, tabled in federal parliament. Right? There was these terrible accusations of indulgence and the misuse of tax benefits that the government gives to the church. What shocked me was how the church responded. There, there was no mention of seeking the Lord. There was no mention of even the possibility of repentance. There was no mention of prayer. There was no mention of confession of past wrongs. In fact, in their response, God wasn't mentioned at all. What was mentioned is that the church is developing a plan to reduce administrative costs. You know, we're appointing a third party to evaluate our financial structure. The leader said, I cannot change the past, but I can play a role in shaping the future. Where's the spirit of humility that looks to the Lord and says, Lord, we have sinned. I will turn our hearts away. Forgive us. Lead us into the future to honour you with wealth. See, we too can be influenced by the spirit of the world. We may look to the church that we belong to and think we're a spiritually healthy family. And so in that temptation, we can be tempted to never pray for the Lord to deepen our repentance, to deepen our conviction of sins. Like it's easy for us to look at our budget positions and depend upon our money as our security rather than Christ. Let me share with you plainly. Pride is the enemy of wisdom. And whenever the spirit of self-dependence flourishes, the fruit of the spirit withers. So what's the solution? Look at verse 18. These are marvellous verses. Christ says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
what a what a glorious and compassionate invitation jesus says i counsel you buy from me the one who remember is the great amen the the, the one who is the truth the faithful witness the one who made the whole universe his counsel is so simple and yet it's so profound here's the answer buy from me what the Laodiceans are being counseled to do is to come to the good and gracious Lord Jesus Christ and in a spirit of humility confess their utter emptiness and instead of resting on their money and their business prowess and their buildings or whatever it may be that they would rest in Christ fullness resting in Christ to give them what they need which is of eternal value resting in Christ to give to them the fruit of the spirit a tender heart that repents a love of God and the things of eternity resting in Christ to take away their shame through the power of his blood just an aside I can't move without sharing in our Bible reading today did you notice in the psalm the psalmist says God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west don't you find that stunningly amazing everything we've ever done I mean if God were to count my sins I would fall down dead that's what the psalmist tells us and here Christ not only cleanses our sins and covers our shames but he works the power of the gospel so deep not only in our lives but in all of the heavenly realms that God remembers our sins no more come to Jesus Laodiceans because he takes away your shame rest in Jesus he opens the eyes of your heart so you can see the depth of your sin but at the same time the immeasurable love of God only Christ can enrich our poverty only Christ can clothe our nakedness and shame and only Christ can heal our spiritual blindness and God's promise is sure when by faith you come to Jesus and I come to Jesus when we confess our utter emptiness and rest in his fullness that is when our faith will be effective and fruitful and a blessing to others this is another aside but it's not for nothing in in, in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 the Lord Jesus says these words learn from me for I'm humble in heart it's that invitation come to me all who are weary in burden and I'll give you rest later on in that few verses later he says learn from me for I'm humble in heart do you know that's the only time in the scripture that God tells us what's in his heart what is in the heart of God what is it at his heart it's humility just for a moment think of Christ's life born in a stable and his death crucified on a cross his life is bookend by humility did Christ ever use his position of power to take advantage of a weak never and most stunningly of all the Son of God willingly submits to the Father and in humility he prays to the Father depending upon him for all things so when the Lord Jesus says to his disciples learn from me he's saying 
Let humility be at the heart of your life as it is at the heart of mine. See, as Christ depended upon the Father for everything, we too depend upon Christ for everything. Let me give you an example from my life. Friends, there are many times in my life when I am overwhelmed, when I am exhausted emotionally, mentally and physically. There are times when the spiritual battle is so intense, I can't cope. Mentally, I'm struggling. Physically, I just want to curl up in the bed. And emotionally, I just can't even cope answering the phone. In those times, I come to the Lord Jesus and I cry out to him in desperation with prayers that quite frankly are often disjointed, weak and muddled. Not always, but so often in the midst of those prayers, but God graciously renews my strength. I renew my strength in the presence of God. And even the times when I don't renew my strength in those times of prayers, he comes to my aid. Maybe not straight away, but in time. And he leads me through my darkness. Friends, throughout scripture, God promises to lift those who humble themselves before him. God doesn't lift me because I'm good, far from it. I'm a sinful, broken, rotten man through and through. God lifts me up because he's promised to lift up the humble. In fact, according to verses 19 and 20 of Revelation chapter 3, the Lord Jesus is always willing to enter into our brokenness and restore us. Let me read to you verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and listen to this, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Incredibly, the one who threatens to spit the Laodiceans out of his mouth now stands at the front door, knocking on their closed hearts, wanting to share a meal with them. See, the reason why Christ wants them to let him in is he wants to end their spiritual poverty. This message to the Laodicea, in the first instance, is not a letter of judgment. It is a letter of warning, but in the first instance, this is a letter of restoration. This is a letter of hope. This is a letter of life. He wants to turn them from paupers into princes. And he does the same for us. What this verse is teaching us is that the Lord Jesus is always willing to enter into the depths of our troubled and broken lives. Make no mistake about it. There is no trouble too deep, no sin too black, no hearts too hard for Christ not to turn and bring life because nothing is impossible with God. He's always willing to give us eyes to see spiritual reality. He's always willing to cover our shame. He's always willing to carry your guilt, to take away your sins and to bring you into the joy of a presence of a father himself. The question is, are we willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and trust him? Are we willing to turn away from pride to humility? That indeed is the constant battle of my life. 
Do you desire your church to be a church that is always centred in Christ and spirit-empowered? I know I do for my own home church. Do you desire to have a church that is always deepening in love for Christ and deepening in that spirit of love towards others? Again, I do. And do you desire the church to uphold truth and holiness, willingly serving for Christ's sake? A church that always is ministering from a position of weakness but possesses a godly godly confidence? Well, if you, like me, desire that for your church family, hear the word of the Lord. Let us humble ourselves before Jesus, trusting him to be willingly, always seeking, wanting to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because whether we're hot, cold or tepid depends upon whether we turn our hearts away from our pride and humble ourselves before the Lord. Please, this morning, let us all hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church at Laodicea. Let us live our lives in a spirit of humility, moment by moment, coming to Christ daily, believing that nothing is impossible with God. He is always willing and able to forgive your sin to remove your guilt, to bring you to the presence of a father and to bring you life in abundance. Friends, this is the last sermon I'm preaching in this series and I thought this morning what I might do is I want to lead you in a time of prayer covering the churches, the letter to the seven churches. I love to pray through for you and for me what God's message is to the seven churches that he may truly continue to bless you as a church I know who loves and trusts the Lord. Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we truly bring to you today our praise, our thanks and our confession. We praise you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your glory is full of splendour. We praise you that your love is unfailing, immeasurable, You are infinite in goodness. You are the awesome God who made the world and yet you come and are the father of our hearts dwelling in us by your spirit. All praise to you today. Father, thank you for your word that brings life and light. Lord, we believe your word this morning. And so we come now, just as Jesus taught us to pray, we come to seek your will. We come to seek you. Father, we ask today that in your mercy, may you give to us here, each one, and this precious church family, an ever-deepening love for you and each other. Lord, would you deepen us in our repentance that we will turn away from those times when we do not love. Father, lead us, we pray, to be a church that upholds truth. Keep us from tolerating error, Father. Lord, may we uphold holiness, always walking in accord to your your will. Father, again, deepen our repentance that will turn our hearts away from error and evil. And Father, may we be a community that always rests our faith in Christ. Let us not forget Christ ever. Gracious Father, may our faith in your Son ever deepen that we confess daily our utter emptiness and rest in his fullness. 
Lift us up, Lord Jesus, because we cannot lift ourselves. And Father, I pray, give to us that spirit of humility ever deepening, that, Lord, we would see the state of our true condition and always run to Christ with assurance, confidence and faith. Father, keep us from the sin of pride. Help us to remember that apart from you, we can do nothing. And may moment by moment, every day, we have a deepening faith in Christ, a deepening humility, a deepening love, a deepening commitment to truth and holiness and sacrifice and faith. Father, this is your will for our church. Please, do what you have promised. Come to our aid and answer our prayers according to your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.